children's programming. It was kind of, it was a little weird to be moving in and like everybody's watching you move in in a mask and they're all suspicious. And they're like, why are these people moving into my house now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's weird like, that the landlord would let you move in <laughs> during this, but I guess you got to, there's probably not a lot of people paying rent right now. So yeah, it's, it's an essential business. Their first like, question, did you have a job and is it open? <laughs> yes, that was actually was the first question. It was, do you have a job right now and how secure is it? Yeah. Because I'm sure there's tons of their tenants right now that aren't um, aren't making the bill. Oh, the absolutely. Bill. It's got to be yeah. the case. It's We're at like 25% unemployment for the country right now or something crazy like that. It's still kind of low in the grand scheme of things, but it's still, you know, a quarter of the country is unemployed. Yeah, you would think it would be higher. It just... Let's not make this too political of a podcast, but it, yeah. it bothers me that um, it bothers me that unemployment is nine hundred dollars a week if you get the maximum, but there hasn't been any wage increase for essential workers. So people that are working, people that are getting unemployment, are getting paid more than you are. Yes, that's correct. And that's your gripe with the U.S. government right now. That's uh, that's one of my many gripes with the U.S. government. Yeah, that's fair enough. We can get a little, we can get political here on children's programming. Sure, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything no, sucks. Everything does suck sometimes. That's a cynical beast in you, I guess. Speaking of um, political um, political things, I have seen in the last um, since I got that Kevin Costner box set. You remember? Yes. Um, I have watched since I moved into the house. I have watched JFK director's cut in its entirety two separate times. My lord, I forgot how because I had seen this when I was like seventeen or something on TV, and I skimmed through it, and I was like, "Yeah, that was pretty good." I've seen it a few more times since then. I fucking love this movie. Can we talk about JFK for a second? Yeah, this sure. Thing is- it's, it's it's one of Kevin's top top five favorite films oh yeah yeah he always talks highly about it it's one of don lagreca's favorites as well is it now yes been listening to them a lot lately no uh no rants though i've been very upset about the lack of rants on his end he's uh he's mellowed out since he had kids much like god much like god (laughs) yes you know the old testament god was a massive asshole and the the new testament god He's all love and sunshine. Is this a theory you came up with yourself, or is it just um, you know a general thing? No, that's a that's a theory. I, I that's a thought I came up with myself. I noticed it when I would take Bible classes in like elementary school, uh. and um, I used to during my my uh, attempted stand up career when I was like eighteen, nineteen. <laughs> Your attempted stand up career. I did I did a few open mics when I was a, a lad. You realize you're a young lad, and this doesn't, uh, you know, this doesn't That's, affect that you can't become a stand-up. I could try, but I, yeah. th- I have thought about it actually. But I would support you. But uh, thank you. Yeah. But um, that was so one JFK. Of my, JFK. That was one of my bits. Was God was a massive asshole who mellowed out when he had kids. Yeah. Um, but no, JFK. I mean, this is like it's the best detective movie 
ever made, maybe, or definitely one of them. I mean, whether or not you agree with Oliver Stone's theory of what happened that is equally as unsound as the Warren report. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it has like the most, one of the most impressive collections of movie talent I've ever seen. Like all, all of the, all of the performances are spectacular. You know, Kevin Costner, um, Gary Oldman, Tommy Lee Jones, Joe Pesci. Doing Who's Gary Southern, Oldman play? Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, really? That's a, yeah. that's a pretty good one. I so, might have to check that out because I love uh, Gary Oldman roles. He, he's good. Did uh, he disappear? He disappears into the part. Uh, Fantastic. Joe, Pes- Joe Pesci plays um, one of the guys that Kevin Costner accuses of being involved. And Joe Pesci does a marvelous Southern accent and walks around with a wig. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, John Candy plays a, um, a New Orleans lawyer who talks like a, a black man from Brooklyn, for lack of a better term. Um, and these are all real people. That's the most amazing thing about it. This weird collection of, of Kevin Bacon plays a male prostitute who's a witness. So it's all kinds of crazy shit. And then like behind the scenes... Robert Richardson worked on this movie. Pietro Scalia worked on this movie. John Williams worked on this movie. I know one of those names. So Robert Richardson is, uh, he's, he's well known for his cinematography collaborations with Martin Scorsese. He's done a lot of Mm. Scorsese movies and Tarantino movies, but he started with Oliver Stone by doing like platoon and the doors and and this. And um, Pietro Scalia is a fantastic editor. Who's won like three Oscars, I think. So yeah. John Williams, of course, John Williams, of course, the greatest. Now I'm not too familiar with, um, with uh, Oliver Stone's work. I, tend to hear more of him being a political guy obviously he is a political with, guy obviously with this and um world trade center and that you know Nixon. He make a, yeah he made the snowden movie recently yep with uh joe scorden lovett he makes a lot of document he made a documentary about um fidel uh, castro fidel castro he made one about like cia interventions in latin america he has um, Oliver Stone's Untold History of the U.S. on Amazon Prime, which is just as big of a conspiracy theory shit show as you would think. So is Oliver Stone just the modern day Alex Jones, you could say, of the film industry? Has He's he just like, morphed into this conspiracy theorist? So angry? If, um, if Michael Moore is lawful good... And um, if Michael Moore is lawful good and Alex Jones is chaotic evil, then Oliver Stone would either be lawful evil or chaotic good. So he has good intentions, but he's a little on the uh, the prickly he's, side. He's a great filmmaker who wants to do the right thing and wants people to to know the truth and live in harmony and love one another. And he's a very very um, very nice guy who just wants um, everything to be fine in the world and everybody to he doesn't want anybody to suffer 
and have unfortunate things befall them. But he's also a weirdo conspiracy theorist. It's, it's, a, it's the positive thing that we all want to believe that there can be heaven on Earth. And then there's other people who dislike fire and brimstone, tear it all down. Yep. yep. Yes. So, um... The Uwe Bowles of the world. Uwe Did he retire from directing? Um, he did, and he was also banned from Letterboxd, but did you see his account is now back up? He was banned from Letterboxd? Yes, he <laughs> was, was he banned har- from Letterboxd. Was he harassing people that were shitting on his movies? He was doing that, and he was also harassing people who um, disagreed with his ultra-contrarian reviews. Hmm. Can you describe so these was, ultra-contrarian reviews? He, he was basically Armand White without being diplomatic. Like, he gave... Um, uh, he gave the Dark Knight a half a star, for example, and just wrote its shit as the <laughs> review. I mean, but that's no different from the one star IMDb reviews. I agree. I don't it's, think he should have been banned, but I feel like the only reason he got banned is because Zoe Ball. Yes. But <laughs> he's back now, apparently. He um he gave a, a one half star a half star review of the lighthouse. Ooh, I don't know. Said, if I don't know if I can be a fan of his films now. And he said, <laughs> "Not that I was to begin with." He gave it a, a half a star out of five and said, "Just a bunch of homos trying to suck each other's dicks." But the hot mermaid made me hard for a minute. This is the this is the man we need in this society. <laughs> this is can the, we get? Can we, Can get, we get Uwe Boll on the podcast? I would. We have an open invitation to Uwe Boll to be on the podcast. Let me see if I can pull up some of his other um, review, review gems. Uwe Does he review Boll. his own movies? Yes, and he gets the five stars. My question is, this, is he self-aware? I don't know. I mean, he strikes me as a really strange dude, you know, challenging people to boxing matches and then actually going through with it. I mean, he's a dedicated, dedicated man. Um, so let's see some of his greatest hits. Pokemon Detective Pikachu, half a star. Fucking garbage. Only children will like it. Adult man child with the gummy bears and the bears and all of this stuff. So stupid. All right, let's let's uh, dissect that for a second. It is a movie made for children. It's mm-hmm. a children's movie, so clearly it didn't appeal to you. And then all that other gibberish, if that was English, um, does not does not answer. Zombie any. Land, Zombie Land, half a star for hipsters. Fucking crap. <laughs> <laughs> Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Five stars out of five. The movie that turns boys into men's. To men's? Yes. Aquaman, one star out of five. My kids love it because they are stupid children. (laughs) I think I've heard enough of Weebo for today. (laughs) He's not doing anything for me. Oh, and he gave Jack and Jill three and a half stars. What was his comment on that? A la Arvind White. Um, I was aiding dinner at Al Pacino's and we watched this for dessert. We was a drunk, but the movie was very funny. Pass the Hennessy. I, I don't think he was at Al Pacino's house. 
I don't think he was at Al Pacino's house either. Did he drug Al Pacino? Was it seems like this was an imagined interaction that took place in Uve's mind and not was this in a reality. was this a crime got wrong gone wrong? He drugged Al Pacino and then watched Jack and Joe with him while he was passed out next to him. Maybe that's um, why Al Pacino told Adam Sandler to burn this at the end of the film and said this should never be seen by anyone. Well, you do have possibly the greatest living actor. Mm -hmm. And And the Sandman together at last. I mean, what had Adam Sandler done previous to that? that You had the greatest living actor and Al Pacino in the same movie. (laughs) Touché. Like, how did he get him to agree to that? Like, what had Adam has, Sandler done in the previous few years that would have been like, oh, this is a good idea, besides just getting a payday? That's the thing. It's all about getting paid. That's why Johnny Depp is in there for two seconds. Yeah, but Johnny Depp and makes... a Justin Bieber t-shirt at the Lakers game. <laughs> I mean, he makes appearances here and there. He was in Tusk. That's true. He doesn't Which, seem like he's got much going on post uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I think it's weirder that he was in Tusk than that he was in Jack and Jill. True, I suppose. Because it's not like Kevin Smith was offering him Sandman money. Yeah. But, you know, I guess he just needs it. He was fighting that Amber Heard court battle for like five years. <laughs> yeah, poor guy got anti-me too. <laughs> Poor guy got anti-me-tooed. I know. He, he, he got me-youed. Literally. <laughs> so, <clears throat> the... Um, he got you-tooed. <laughs> so, the, um, the A-Rod Mets deal uh, fell through. Oh, it did? Oh, the, what a shame. Yeah, the J-Lo A-Rod uh, situation is uh, no more. It's not going to happen. Wait, J-Lo is, is not with A-Rod anymore? No, no, no. The, uh, just the purchase of the Mets is not going to happen. Oh. So unfortunately, they pulled out, which... I thought you said the J-Lo A-Rod thing is not going down. No, just the, the J-Lo Mets purchase is not going through, is what I meant. Oh. You hate to I'm see I'm very it. disappointed because I was hoping that we would get a, um, a real-life major league situation where Jennifer Lopez was owning the team and threatening to move the bets to Miami. And uh, they had to win games with a ragtag group of, of players. I can see that. I can see that working. The Mets could have had their own wild thing, Ricky Vaughn. (laughs) They could have just hired Charlie Sheen to do it. He'd do it. Of course he would. Yeah. He'd play baseball professionally. He's not I, doing anything else. I don't think I've ever seen Major League. It's it's pretty funny, especially if you're if you know about baseball. Yeah, I've seen I'm like some a... I've seen like some of the famous scenes in there and all that. Like you know the guy gluing his hands to the glove or the bat. Yep. Yep. Am I thinking of the right movie? Yes, I am. Uh, and Pedro Serrano praising Juba to get him <laughs> to hit a home run. <laughs> and then he pees what? in the uh, in Juba's little little um dish there yep. Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes we love it the fastest man in the majors you may run like Mays but you play like shit <laughs> <laughs> what 
What was the deal with all the baseball movies in the 90s? Was it just that resurgence of of baseball in the steroid era that made people I think it was I think it was that and it was also um I think I think it was cuz Bull Durham was such a big hit. Mm-hmm. That people were like this is the time to cash in. And we yeah, cuz then you had Field of the Dreams, Dreams right after that and a bunch of like movies about a kid becoming a major league player in little big league and that other one i don't remember rookie of the year rookie of the year starring Um, the starring the kid from bronx tale who also later starred in kazam with shaquille (laughs) o'neal and then i think went to jail (laughs) and now have you seen him now yeah, I think he was on Veronica Mars, and then he's also, I think he's on Law & Order now, here and there. He's like, he's like jacked as shit with like yeah. full sleeve tattoos and like teardrops on his face. <laughs> so that's yeah. trying to, isn't that a sign of murder in jail, <laughs> that you killed somebody? Yes. I, mean, I mean, Kazam, Kazam really did him in, didn't it? The guy who directed Kazam never directed again. I don't blame him. <laughs> I wonder why. Well, would you hire the the director of cinematic hit Kazam? I mean, your, your... I mean, I'm sure it uh, it was a hit with some people. It was a hit with nobody. <laughs> Roger Ebert put it on his list of fifty worst movies of all time. <laughs> it was um, it was one of those movies that when I was in middle school or not middle school, elementary school, when we had indoor recess, they would put on Kazam in the gym, and we would all watch it. I don't remember any other movie. I don't remember any other movie ever being played other than Finding Nemo back in the day. No, in my school, we never got the good shit. We got Kazam. We got um, C-Spot Run starring David Arquette (laughs) alongside uh, the kid from Two and a Half Men. Angus T. (laughs) Young. (laughs) Yeah. We got um, Slappy and the Stinkers starring B.D. Wong. That's that's one that I remember. So that was about a, a group of boarding school kids who adopt a seal. <laughs> so it was a Free Willy uh, ripoff of its time? It was Free Willy at a boarding school. And it starred B.D. Wong as a British Chinese man who runs the school <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> There's no shortage of um, terrible ideas, and every pretty much any generation, there's a subculture of bad ripoff movies. Yep. Like um, you'll see like cars, and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's put planes out, and then they're like, <laughs> <laughs> remember a car's life? A car's life. Yeah, it was like a ripoff of cars. It was called a car's life. And I think Jason Mewes was a voice actor in it. I would not be surprised. <laughs> what was the one you were showing me the other day? Uh, Terranferno or something? Oh, a tar- uh, Tarantula... Oh, vol- Volcantula or something? Yeah. <laughs> Volcanoes with tarantulas? Yeah. The only reason I remember that is because... Um, who was in it? Um... That guy who co-hosts Ralph Garman, mm-hmm. the guy who co-hosts Kevin's one of Kevin's podcasts, was he was Ralph in that. Movie? What's that? Was Ralph in that movie? Yes, I believe he was. Jesus. He mentioned it to once. There was some random actress in it that I looked up and I was like, oh, "That's kind of weird," but okay. Like, like how Tara Reid was in Birdemic for some reason. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, or the dad yeah. from Home Alone was in Sharknado. <laughs> Did you know that um, the uh, Jared Fogle from Subway was supposed to play the lead role in Sharknado 3? But those plans were uh, soon. Those plans were quickly put on the back burner. Did you know that Anthony Weiner was in uh, Sharknado 4? Yes. The Fourth Awakens. <laughs> Phenomenal. Can you think of a more perfect actor than American hero Andy Weiner? I cannot. I mean, was he credited as Anthony Weiner or was he credited as his, as his alias Carlos Danger? <laughs> Carlos Danger. That's my question. <laughs> How did these clowns get elected? I mean, if we're asking that question, there's no better time to ask that question than 2020, Matt Dixon. How did these clowns get elected? <laughs> it could be worse. It could be worse. I've, I've, um, I stumbled on an amazing letterbox list yesterday. Oh, it's called, um, it was made by a guy named Dave Chen. He makes these amazing, amazing, letterbox lists these hilarious um lists they're super smart i was the one that i showed you was the um the real life divorce with scarlett johansson Hmm. movies so he made one called movies which are best which plots are best described as saying yeah but who's the real title of film okay let let me pull it up quick i'm a little confused but you can unwrap that for me Okay. Movies where the theme of the film is best expressed by asking the question, but who is slash are the real title of film? So we have things like Parasite. Who is the real Parasite? Who are the real prisoners? Who is the real Joker? I'm still not picking it up. Like, because the message of Joker, right? Is like oh okay so yeah. it's it's asking you is the yeah, Joker him or is it you yeah who's is the, the real Joker oh, okay it's like they have um they have uh, Star Wars the Last Jedi who, who is, is the, is the real Last Jedi <laughs> <laughs> what was number one on that list Parasite oh, okay who is the who's real the... Parasite who are the real hustlers. <laughs> That one about Parasite is actually kind of smart because it pretty much explains the entire movie without spoiling it. Yeah. Who are the real departed? <laughs> that one's a little that one's pushing it a little bit. <laughs> what are the real uncut gems? Oh my god. I didn't realize how good of a title that was because it refers to not only somebody who's not well developed, but it also refers to an uncut <laughs> Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome for that <laughs> i didn't even realize that until you showed um, that to me my favorite one on the list is the last entry um who is the real wizard of oz <laughs> all right fair um, enough yeah you know good times so you were telling me about um you wanted to talk about nascar cars 
Yes. So I have been reading about this lately. Don't ask me why, because I don't know why. I think it's because the quarantine is getting to my head. And also because I've been car shopping quite a bit, so I'm getting ads recommended to me for things like this. But yes, so NASCAR racing, as we all know, is utterly boring and pointless. But the business behind it, that therein lies a fun adventure into the depravity of man. So um, uh, the, the sport of NASCAR is uh, no stranger to backroom dealing and uh, shady business practices throughout the years. We could do a whole episode on all the ridiculous things that they've done. But um, I'm going to focus on a more lighthearted topic. They want to get more car brands in the sport. And they have their um, their current uh, brands, which are Chevy, Ford, and Toyota, ready to strong-arm competition into joining. So your argument is? Well, they, I think they should get more because I like the idea of companies strong-arming other companies. I think that's really funny. So there's only a specific group of uh, cars that are using in NASCAR right now? Yeah, so, um, I mean, there's only... Is that a rule, or is it a... No, it's not by design. It's just the way it's happened, because everyone else pulled out um, because the sport is failing miserably and, and losing <laughs> lots of money. It was probably a good business decision, but... Yeah, I don't see much talk about NASCAR these days. I mean, the only people who generally like NASCAR are, you know, the... No offense to the... Um, rednecks of society but you know the generally the more country the country folk you know mm -hmm. we don't want to disparage anybody here but <laughs> it's generally a very one-tracked um you know interest if you could say mm -hmm. like compared to other but, sports like baseball appeals to well baseball is another failing sport but like for example it appeals like fo to football, more people though yeah football appeals to most people College sports appeal to most people because that people generally tend to connect with that particular, you know, university or whatever, mm -hmm. and that can spread through generations. But NASCAR is more of a regional thing, I would suppose, based on I've my little wondered, knowledge of NASCAR. But I've always wondered why they don't they don't treat themselves more like college football. Because like college football, I mean, the 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 games are played in small towns for the most part. It's big stadium, small town. On game day, the entire town shuts down and everyone becomes involved with putting on this sporting event in one way or another, whether that's letting people into sports bars, working at the stadium itself, selling souvenirs, all of these different kinds of things. If I was the president of, of NASCAR racing, I would say, hey, let's just put tracks in like these little towns and um, let them come alive on Saturdays or Sundays or whenever the fuck it happens. So you're thinking they may be doing, trying to do too much? I've, I, I think so. I mean, why do they have races in places like fucking Los Angeles and Vegas and, and Kansas City, places where nobody cares? Well, I think maybe Kansas City, you could make an argument. But yeah, you want to stick to more, maybe stick to where they're successful. For the time yeah. being, until they the sport put, expands on a national level, which I don't think it ever will. Yeah, they should put they should put tracks in Hickory Ridge, North Carolina, or something like that. 
even you a small, I mean? even like a small, like you know, smaller division of NASCAR. Like I don't even know how that works, but I wouldn't be able to tell you. I know they have they have truck racing, which is hilarious in and of itself. So try to explain NASCAR to me because I don't really get it. Is it so when you're in NASCAR, mm-hmm. like how how does that work? Is there a certain criteria you have to fill to be in NASCAR? Um, I know that you have to, like, I know that you have to get a specific license to drive a race car. Like, you can't just waltz in there, even though the guy in our first episode, L.W. Wright, did that. But, yes, um, the legendary L.W. Wright. American <laughs> hero, L.W. Wright. Yes, I, I, you have to get some kind of specific license to do it. I'm not sure how you get that. But um, once you have it, you can enter any race you want as long as you have the a functional race car and a team. So it's you don't just even a need to have a sponsor. It's just a matter of who has the most money to get on the track, and if you have yeah, that license. Yeah, basically. So you have like originally it was like bootleggers and stuff. They would like have these fast cars sitting around, and they were like, "Well, prohibition is over. We don't need to run from the cops anymore. Let's race these things." And then so that I, evolved into which car dealers would like put their stuff out so that they could sell it the next day. And then, um, so a lot of my understanding is that a lot of NASCAR team owners today are basically like car dealership tycoons from the Southeast. And when it comes to like, like who they let on the race, is it, once you have that license, there's like a, a list of highest ranked people that can be in a specific race. Like obviously, if you have a team and you got a license, you can't just join the Daytona 500. Well, you you can't. You can enter, but you would have to like qualify. Oh, okay. So, so there's, there's like it's it's like kind of like the Olympics where it's like a you have to race certain shorter races in order to make it up to that. Yeah, they do like time trials and stuff like that. And if you if you're like the 43 fastest or something, then you get in. Okay. So if it's on like a state by state level, you say, oh, okay, maybe these are the five best racers in that state and they have more leverage to apply for higher end races, like maybe, you know, the Indy 500 or something like that. Yeah. That's probably a good way to look at it. And not, not to like go race to race, but to definitely to get a, a job driving for somebody's team. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of like who's the who's the best local guy in North Carolina? Let's get him. It kind of reminds me of like the Little League World Series, where each individual town has its own team, and then eventually they play for the state team, and then the state Mm -hmm. plays for the nationals and vice and so on. Yeah, so it's probably that concept. That's my understanding. Is that's how it works? I'm probably grossly. grossly lying right now because i don't really know but that's my understanding of what happens have you ever had much of an interest in nascar i don't really i watched it a little when i was um, a younger kid it was right after cars came out Hmm. and i was uh, i was into the movie cars so i was like i'm gonna check this out and uh the first race i watched was like the daytona 500 and there was like a massive crash at the end where everybody wrecked except for like two people mm. and i was like this is fucking awesome and then i kept watching and i was like oh it doesn't happen every time yeah 
And then yeah, that it just was strikes me as very that. boring. It's not something I could ever see myself getting into, and I don't really think it's much of a sport. But I, I guess it is because it's you are having to have the skill of using a vehicle. But I think it's. I feel like it's. I. I I feel like it's more in the the wrestling ilk of sports, more so than like the like boxing or football or something, where it's it's more, more entertainment than a sport. It's more of a novelty, exactly. Yeah. It's just okay. a really really big business novelty versus like your local lawnmower race at the fair. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Speaking yeah, but... of sports that you have to put real skill into. But um, real quick, um, so the, the, the car companies that they want to strong arm in are Dodge, Nissan, and uh, and Honda. Honda, I could see because they have the strongest engines, but yeah. I don't see where Nissan and, the, and um, Dodge come into play. I think Dodge is just because of a legacy thing. Like, it's an American company. They want to have American brands in the sport. Honda, like you said, it makes sense. Nissan, I don't get it at all. I think it's a smart business decision for them because they're having trouble selling the the Titan, which is their pickup truck. And uh, if they could get into like the truck racing, that would probably help them compete with um, Toyota and Ford and and Chevy a lot more. Yeah, but to my knowledge, Dodge and Nissan don't really have much, you know, record for reliability. Honda, obviously, oh, no, I'm 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 surprised Honda isn't already involved in that because they're one of the most reliable car companies there are yeah well that's you got to remember too racing is is not quite about reliability because you can just fix it and you for these most of these teams have like crazy money behind them so it's not yeah. really about that so much it's as long as like the car runs fast. for as long as the car runs fast for three hours it really doesn't matter how it runs the other 90 yeah. percent of the time and we all know how fast um current day dodges are yeah, I mean that's basically all they do is make barely legal street cars. Well, a lot of police forces use them because they're so fast. Mm-hmm. Have I, I would, told I you about the uh, the Dodge Demon? Yes, you have told me about the Dodge Demon. I think we talked about that last yeah. episode. Yeah, because that's that was my dream car. Is they can't sell you the race car. Yeah, but they can't sell you the manpower and the equipment. Yeah, yeah. So that's so what I it was... is. So I was looking up, because um, in, a, in a few weeks we might end up talking to the author of uh, The Bad Guys 1 about the 86 Mets, mm-hmm. Jeff Perlman. Glad you picked up where I was going when I said, speaking of sports that take real Speak, talent. Speaking of sports, yes, here's some real talent. Um, yes, I contacted uh, Mr. Perlman, and he's going to uh, possibly do an interview with us. We're in the early stages of that, but uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll be able to speak with him. I'm very big fan of his work. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't aware that he is the one that broke the John Rocker story in the nineties. Mm. Cause um, obviously to New York fans that are a little older, uh, John Rocker was one of the most hated players of all time in New I York. I think sports not even just New York fans, like just in general, even Atlanta fans hated John Rocker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he got shipped out immediately after that. He got suspended and he played like, two or three more seasons and then was like pretty much out of there. Mm-hmm. It pretty much derailed his career. So, I mean, yeah. what can you do? <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to have him on. Yeah. I'm sure he'll have a lot to, a lot to talk about. He wrote, um, I've read two of his books. I, I'm a very big fan of his work. Cause I, I, I see him. He's appears on SNY a lot on some of their documentaries. 
mm-hmm. um, when specifically talking about the 86 Mets, obviously. Um, I always heard his name around there, but that guy's one is probably my favorite book because it's a good um a good analysis of the entire season. And one one point I heard him make on his um his website was that um in the book he didn't interview like Daryl Strawberry or Doc Gooden. Mm-hmm. There was a couple star players of the team. I think he interviewed about eighty five percent of the team. Um, but he didn't include a few people, and he made a point saying, you know, in in writing a story about a bigger topic like that, it can sometimes, sometimes it's not necessary to, to ask questions of people like that because they've already told the same stories a million times. Right. So, like, in a in a piece like that, you could say, oh, well, let's interview the backup catcher for the Mets at the time or whoever because they'll have a different perspective on that same story. It'll probably be a lot less watered down because they they won't have told the story so many yeah, times. Yeah, because I'm I'm sure Doc Gooden's told the story of him trying coke the for the day after the World Series for the first time a thousand times, and you know there's really no reason to regurgitate that again because anybody who's looking for information on him is going to find yeah. that. Like I'm yep. more interested in the story of um, Kevin Mitchell cutting a chicken's head off. <laughs> or uh, backup catcher Ed Hearn getting stuck on an island on his boat and then him having to call out to somebody and saying that I'm a catcher on the Mets <laughs> and they didn't know who he was. There are some pretty good stories in there. That's phenomenal. And then there's a whole chapter devoted to the famous after they won the league championship series against the Astros, they completely destroyed the plane on the way home. I heard I heard and that then, story, yeah. And then Davey Johnson footed the bill. Yep. So a lot of bunch of great stories in that book. I That's think hilarious should... that Davey Johnson footed the bill. And yeah, not he was ownership. like, he was like, you guys have done good all this year. You deserve it. I'll pay. <laughs> so, I mean, that shows his his strength as a manager. He really yeah. believed in his team, and if they want to have a little fun, then that's that's fine. Keith Hernandez uh, staying up all night to do coke and then winning uh, game two the next day. Exactly. Good times. Yeah. Speaking um, of also sports that require real skill, did you see the Mike Tyson video? Mike Tyson video on... So Mike Tyson posted a video on his Instagram recently where he's, first of all, is jacked as shit. Like looking incredi- in incredible shape for his Like comeback age. shape. And he's punching the lights out of this punching bag that the guy is holding up, like speed, power, all of it. And then at the end, he says, I'm back. And then he just leaves it at that. Yep. So uh, we're led to believe Mike Tyson is coming back to the ring. 50 plus year old Mike Tyson is coming back to the ring. That's right. The real life Rocky Balboa. I can imagine. I mean, just imagine if they did literally the fight of whatever. And it would be Tyson and Mayweather against each other. Jesus Christ. That would be the fight. That would be basically like Rocky Balboa. It would be like the yeah. fight of the century. I mean, I think I think he can still compete. He looked really, really good. Um, he looked like he 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 looked like he's ready to go. I think I don't think he could compete for a heavyweight title again, but at 53, but he could win lower level contests. It's like when Roger Clemens came back and played triple um, A baseball and he was okay. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, I I'm that... interested to see where yeah, this I mean, goes. I mean, I could see him at least, yeah, like I said, at least competing, but um, maybe Mayweather's crazy enough to come out of retirement just to say I beat Tyson. But even <laughs> so, that's not you're not beating much. You're beating a guy that's been out of practice for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe Tyson will bite Floyd Mayweather's ear off. <laughs> maybe. No, I think he's still that. I think he's chilled out a little bit with his Tyson ranch and being hopped yeah. up on marijuana for the last 15 years. Mike Tyson mysteries. What's the deal with, um, I don't hear a lot of people mentioning that he went to jail very often anymore. He's kind of, it's kind like of moved on. I people have just kind of forgotten that. Yeah. It's like uh, the Kobe going to jail thing. People just don't really think well, about Kobe it. Kobe never went to jail. Oh yeah, Kobe. He was just accused. That's right. Yeah, Tyson but actually like went. That, to, it just Tyson was actually convicted. It just kind of goes under under the radar. Yeah, I don't understand. Like Tyson. any any other person that got convicted of rape would be immediately immediately ostracized from from society. Yeah, but by um, Tyson. I mean, I have heard some thoughts that maybe the um, incident was exa- uh, exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of, kind of similar to the Kobe situation. It was maybe you've been exaggerated by the individual, but obviously you can't say it, but, you know. Or like the Ben Roethlisberger one, I think. Yeah, is people also completely forget about this. that. Like, there's no mention of that now. The Marv <laughs> Albert story of the world. The lesson is, if you want to do highly illegal shit, be a professional athlete. <laughs> it's sad, but... <sighs> it's true. It's it's I mean, really if Mike hard. Tyson was an actor, he would be he would be done because of that. Yeah, that would have ended his career. Mike Tyson, yeah, if Mike Tyson was like a financial industry guy, it would be over. It reminds me of that BoJack Horseman episode where there was that one guy who was like a really big actor, but he kept screwing up. But every time he'd make a comeback, he'd just make a big apology or donate yeah. to some children, and then yeah. oh, immediately he would be forgiven. Yep, like that's real stuff. But it only it only applies to some people though. Like like Louis C.K. is gone forever, but Mel Gibson is still around. Yeah. Well, anytime it has something to do with with um you know assaulting women or doing something that disparages an entire race, that's you know, it's yeah. night and day when it comes to things like that. But Mel Gibson did that. But his argument is that he was drunk. It was a drunken rage. He didn't hurt anybody. I mean, you could argue I that the, the reason Louis got vilified is because he, you know, emotionally emotionally hurt these people. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Mel, Mel Gibson Mel Gibson just called a cop sugar tits. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was just a little bit drunk. I mean, he's been redeemed. He's back in the industry and nobody seems to really notice too much. Yeah, he's directing a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. Yeah, yeah, it's Jerry a remake Bruckheimer of the Wild around. Bunch. Remake of the Wild Bunch. Yeah. Okay. Starring um, Michael Fassbender, supposedly Michael Fassbender and Jamie Fox. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Jamie Fox is also speaking of Tyson. Jamie Fox has been tied to a Martin Scorsese Mike Tyson biopic for years. Mm. I can and see it. If this comeback happens, because I've always thought maybe Jamie Foxx is a little too old at this point. If this comeback happens, and with the way digital de-aging is going on, 
I was about to say the Irishman obviously proved that it doesn't make a difference. Like this could happen still. There's only one. I think there's only one company that could really save Mel Gibson's career entirely. What's that? And you know that A24 is the company that can save Mel Gibson's career as it has done for several other individuals. Mm -hmm. A24 is the career saver of a film company. (laughs) Talk about the careers that A24 has saved. Well, they've saved Adam Sandler's career. If it wasn't already in the tank already. It was, he, he was reduced to making straight to Netflix dirt bombs and then comes out and stars in uncut gems wins legendary praise now he's back on top of the world they basically saved robert pattinson's career because he was in twilight and was typecast by that and now he's a back and he's an established actor on the the laurels of a24 Mm. you could argue willem dafoe's career was the resurgent because of a24 Got the Florida Project, you know, the lighthouse. lighthouse. Yeah, there you go. Um, It's made careers. Timothy Chalamet, Mm -hmm. Anya Taylor Joy, both came up from A twenty four. Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan, yes, of Mm -hmm. course, of course. Um, Yeah, Ari Aster, new horror. Ari Aster, the other director whose name I whose name escapes me. Robert what? Eggers. There you go. Robert Eggers. Yeah, started um, the careers of several. Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf. Yes. He's he's been transformed from the Naked Brothers band into a, a real performer. Well, he stopped there for a second. He stopped there for a second to become the Boston Bomber for a movie, and then now he's a real actor again. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would argue that his he's more of an actor than his brother is these days. I mean, that is basically just a model. Pretty much. Alex, I mean, is, Alex is the talented one, I think. I think that's any movie I've seen, that wolf, and he's just like the, oh, I'm the nice, not ugly, but not gorgeous guy. Yeah, he, he's, he's generic young white guy. Yeah. I'm not knocking the guy. I'm sure he's a talented actor, but, you know, he just has a, kind of that typecast. I'm just saying he's, his brother is way more talented than he is. Yes, I agree. It's also weird that his brother does not like, like they look alike, but like also not alike. When they were younger, they looked a lot more alike. When they, I were... think, um, I think Alex has been taking that Donald Trump special tanning oil because mm. he is like a full shade different than that now. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I hope there's a collaboration there between um, Pattinson and Alex Wolf. I think that'd be a good combination. Mm. A24, get on this. But you've been wanting to talk to me for a while about the A24 theory you have. Yeah, so my theory about A24 films is they've more or less become the apple of the film industry. Right. They've just become this like golden beacon of hipsterism. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they have their merch store and they release all these edgy, woke films that appeal to the highest common denominator and you know they're just I, people I, I, like I, us exactly like i have i'm not gonna throw any any stones at a24 i love their movies they've no. they, I, i've argued they've never made a bad film to some extent 
And me and you are the perfect demographic for this because we are uptight cinema snobs. Exactly. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I find issue with <laughs> there, there being this subconscious obsession with hipsterish films when in reality that's just, you know, exactly what it is. It's like that. That Apple mindset of like, oh, it's an Apple product, so I'm going to buy it. This is an A24 film, so I will consume it. I have, I've called A24 the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for hipsters. <laughs> I would agree. Um, basically, you have people that are like religiously devoted to this company and will see anything they come out with. Even if they hate it, they will still love it. I mean, um, I haven't done a scientific study on this because... Why would I? Who cares? But I would guarantee you that if you look at average letterbox reviews for A24 movies, they're all going to average around four or five stars versus the general release thing is going to average around three. Guarantee it. So they have that little advantage there because they have such a following. Mm -hmm. In fact, let's actually do... um, Let's actually look at the highest rated right now. A24 films? No, high, let's look at the highest rated um, on Letterboxd and see how many are A24. So a lot of these are just documentaries early on or like miniseries or foreign stuff. You know, Band of Brothers, Seven Samurai, Parasite. Oh, they, have, they have a top 100 for Letterboxd movies? You can just organize them by highest rated. Yeah, they have Portrait of a Lady on Fire, A24. Um, Let's see. Lady Bird, A24. I think there's something here, Big Fella. I mean, Letterboxd is the perfect cesspool of filmmaking hipsters. (laughs) But the, the issue I find is that most people who are filmmaking hipsters don't actually know much of anything about film they just regurgitate what they hear what they read off of reddit or they they yeah. watch one documentary on quentin tarantino and are suddenly quoting these films that they have never seen mm-hmm. like their torah yep um like it's like the film bro stereotype how they've seen like 10 films and <laughs> and four of them are martin scorsese robert de niro collaborations Oh, I hate what is Pulp Fiction. I hate film bros. I have a very strong distaste for the film bro community. (laughs) It's these these angry, neck bearded, or really skinny, really hipsterish people that are fans of. Really skinny or really fat. Exactly. It only comes two ways. And they sit in their corner and they rant about how much they love Christopher Nolan and Wes Anderson and how this these are this is art as compared to <laughs> these regular films, not these Hollywood films that I don't watch. Granted I'm guilty of that myself. But <laughs> <laughs> But the funniest thing is they do watch these Hollywood films because Christopher Nolan's a Hollywood director. These films that they they regard as in such high regard, (laughs) these films that they put in such high regard are just like they're the exact thing you you want to not have. (laughs) You know, you claim you claim to love Pulp Fiction and and like indie movies, but that's not an indie movie. It's one of the most popular (laughs) movies of the nineties. 
it 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 is it pulp fiction is an indie movie in the same way that nirvana is an indie band it's just not the case like yes it, it technically is one because when it was created it was supposed to be that but it didn't stay that now it's super popular and everyone loves it i just hate when people try to dig up on trends and they try mm. to they try to make themselves seem like they're they're artsy like oh i knew i knew this before it was popular like you know the typical hipster vibe yeah but it's so uh, funny uh, with like bro film bro types because they'll do it with like oh have you ever seen seven man like fucking yes everyone's seen fucking seven. Oh man i wish i could make a film like seven i could do it so great i could use all that mise-en-scene they like to use even though they probably <laughs> don't know what that word means the cinematography is top notch. The cinematography is top notch. Um, no, I I could go on a whole day rant about cinema snobs. I hate them. They yeah. are a they are a plague upon this society that need to be stopped yesterday. But there's like different types though, because there's the bro type, and then there's the art bro type, which okay, is like so where they we'll, love Wes Anderson and A twenty four. I'll break it down for you. Okay. Uh -huh. there's the a24 snob who yeah. as far as they know a24 is the only film company that exists yes then you have the film school cinema snob the ones that like uh the grand budapest hotel seven anything by david fincher basically anything by quentin basically yeah. um they'll throw paul thomas anderson in there here and there but only boogie nights or there will be blood exactly and then they'll throw out their favorite film being The Dark Knight or Inception. Or, you know, occasionally there'll be some guy who will throw in Goodwill Hunting. I don't know. Something like and really they, artsy they and pretentious. Love, they love um they they love Francis Ford Coppola and celebrate him as a cinema god, but have only seen the first Godfather. Exactly. <laughs> and people that praise George Lucas like he's some kind of the second coming of Christ. I don't think anybody does that, film bro or not. <laughs> Who's praising George Lucas anymore? Well, you know, you got the Star Wars fans out there who think that, oh, George's work is God. <laughs> I mean, that that has cropped up now since the sequels came out, actually. People were like, George would have done it better. No, George would have done it even fucking worse. George has only directed two films in the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> He directed the prequels. He directed and he the three prequels, and that was he it. He directed the three prequels, and he directed Star Wars and American Graffiti, and then one other artsy space movie. HX one one three eight. Yeah, I mean, like, I've I get never why seen he's ever will watch. <laughs> I get why he's significant. He was ahead of his time as far as you know, science fiction and that sort of a thing. And you know, he was really groundbreaking in his idea of marketing his his brand it was you know the star wars brand is probably one of the most well-marketed brands ever essentially but, george lucas is famous because he was a smart business guy who happened to be friends with the greatest filmmakers who ever lived exactly so it would I, be I like know, I just I put him on the lower tier of the the big five directors of the seventies because he didn't really he didn't really expand and accomplish as much. Like obviously, Star Wars is a cultural achievement, but 
I, I don't feel like he ever expanded on that. I mean, you can't you can't judge a filmmaker's body of work by one film. In an artistic sense, I don't think he ever did, but in a business sense, he absolutely did. Well, by of course, he was a genius businessman. He, he said, I don't want... the studio system, creating advances in special effects and all of that. But in a, in a f- filmmaking sense, that was his high watermark, and he hmm. never surpassed it and never will. Yeah, and the that's only, fine. The only filmmakers of that era who really branched out and became legends were Spielberg and Scorsese. There's really no other... You could argue Brian De Palma. Coppola. Coppola hasn't really made a consistent career since the eighties. That's true. You know the last, the he, last he made, well-known he movie. Made, he he made Jack and then Jack, made yes. the Rainmaker the next year. So yeah, big ups I mean, you and could, downs. You could argue the last great thing he ever made was Sofia Coppola, but that's just that's another topic in itself. <laughs> but um, Sofia Coppola tends to be the more the female hipster. Yeah, the female. We'll categorize, we'll categorize the female hipster. The film bro is is into David Fincher and and uh, um, Christopher Nolan. The film sis is into the film chick is into Wes Anderson, Sophia Coppola, and uh, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. But no, all right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna retract my statement because she has never made any movies that are feminist related. Yeah, there's that one there's director. Fil- um, films, film school chicks are um, always talking about how there need to be more women directors, but can't name anything by a woman, and you can't name any women directors other than Sofia Coppola. I mean, that's arguably the problem in itself, but <laughs> it's a problem. But like, if you want to support them, like you can't name like Greta Gerwig or Catherine Bigelow or Agnes Varda. Come on, bro. I was waiting for you to say Agnes Varda because that's the only one I could think of other than the, the normal two. You know? Mm. Or, uh, what, what's her name? Alice Guy Blasé. One, the first female filmmaker ever in the silent era. Mm. Arguably one of the first filmmakers. You know? Yeah. Ask them if they know anything about that. <laughs> I doubt they Probably. do. But that's the thing about film school people is they they slash we because we came from that background too. We don't know shit about anything. I just don't like people who like to make it seem like they're more high and mighty than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Granted, oh, there's, thing there's I'm an additional of. type. Let's not forget the additional type. Oh, I'm going to call this the Ralph the Movie Maker category of film student. Ooh. People who blindly love anything that was made in a foreign country <laughs> and think that because it was made outside of the United States, it is inherently superior to anything that comes out of the Hollywood system. If it's not made by Akira Kurosawa, it's not a film as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Have you seen Seven Samurai? Have you seen The Hidden Fortress? Have you seen Ran? <laughs> then how have you even seen anything oh I was just at Barnes and Noble the other day and I picked up the Satyajit Ray box set <laughs> name dropping obscure filmmakers as if that's going to make you seem any more pretentious than you actually are yes the name dropper we love you Ralph but come on bruh, bruh. come on bruh <laughs> so uh, have you been watching anything lately um, I've I've watched JFK on repeat. Okay, watched that twice. 
So it was a holy experience, much like uh, Apocalypse Now was? Yeah, I would say so. It's a master class in film editing. Absolute master class. The fact that he's able to make a three and a half hour movie just zip by like nothing Mm -hmm. and keep it engaging the entire time. It's uh, it's amazing stuff. Um, other than that, I watched uh, the Hurricane the other night. Oh, with Denzel. Yes. Yep, I've heard about that. Did Spike didn't like direct that, right? What's that? Spike didn't direct that, right? No, uh, Norman Jewison directed that. Oh, okay. That's a weird one. He's um, he's had one of the most interesting careers of all time. He started in the the late fifties. And directed all the way up until 2003, and has made. Here's here's a, a uh, here are his four best known movies in the public eye. Jesus Christ Superstar. In the Heat of the Night. Uh, Moonstruck, and The Hurricane. That's quite the. Could, um, could you that's pick, quite the body of work? <laughs> could you pick four? vastly different more vastly different things than that i mean it just shows his strength as a director to be able to take on multiple subjects i agree and take them on well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah that's what i've been watching and i've been playing a lot of gta i've been watching the um the waco series on netflix mm. because um you know it was on and i happened to want to watch it the first episode was pretty good but then i thought this is so similar to how narcos was structured Mm. and then you look at like all their other like real life all the netflix real life you know movies and you're like these are all very very similar and now i'm worrying that we're entering a a structure of of true life biographies that netflix makes that are basically cut and paste the same thing uh we might be headed towards that i mean um we see my mom has been trying to get me to watch the show Hollywood, mm. which is about like young actors trying to make it big. And I'm like, do I really want to watch another one of these? The problem with a lot of these shows is that miniseries? they don't really do anything as far as using color or using any sort of different like camera types. No, I mean, it's so that, TV, that's a, that's a, so you can't expect them to do that more as much as a film would but like come on i mean i guess one of you if you're looking at it in a cinematic sense you really don't see it that much because a lot of these movies look the same because probably like 90 percent of the movies are shot on red or Ari alexa Mm -hmm. so they kind of all have that same sort of look i guess that too polished look that i don't like i mean i guess i can't complain too much it's just how it is but it's you know. a, it's a symptom of the technology until something until a better way to to shoot digital is invented. This is what we'll be having to deal with. I, I think there's just a lack of people taking risks anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the Hollywood Hollywood mentality of not wanting to to innovate or anything like that because innovation is cost money. <laughs> yeah, innovation yeah. is hard, so let's just not do it. But then you know, re- regurgitating bad ideas is how how we get cats. <laughs> <laughs> or some That's other a whole crap like another that. topic for another time. We could do a whole episode on cats. We probably could. We should but, do a whole um, episode about like how Hollywood was terribly wrong on multiple occasions about what would what would sell. 
I did also sit down and watch the um, the first season of The Mandalorian. Finally, mm-hmm. I finally jumped on that bandwagon. Ooh, and uh, good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad that somebody is finally doing something interesting with the Star Wars universe. Thanks, John Favreau. I'm glad he's like, actually it's doing... not connected to any previously known character. It's not connected to the Skywalkers. It's not connected to the Force. It's just a Western set in the Star Wars universe. Like that's thank you for for making something new, something fresh. Well, John Favreau is a great director. It's just he's given the worst ideas when it comes to things like obviously remaking all these Disney films is getting him paid. But it's not advanced. It's not advancing the medium at any any point. Mm-hmm. I was shocked to see who was directing episodes of The Mandalorian. It was um, like Bryce Dallas Howard directed an episode. Mm-hmm. I heard about that. Um, Taika Waititi directed like the season finale. Why do I hear Taika Waititi's name so often? I honestly don't know. I I've been. Try to figure that out for myself because is he talented? Yes, but I don't he directed know how. Rack the Rock. <laughs> I don't, I don't really hear he's... much. I don't really hear much other than that. I don't know how he suddenly became the poster child for like the future of Hollywood cinema. I mean, remember the like last he... time something like this happened? We got <laughs> we got um what's M. his face M Night Shyamalan. Taika Waititi. He like he made what we do in the shadows, and that was pretty funny. I saw that. He he made some like indie comedies that I haven't seen. He's like he has like the Hunt for the Wilder People and stuff like that. Apparently, it's good. I've never seen it, but like like just after Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, we're ready to anoint this guy with like every franchise in existence. He's doing. He's doing Star Wars. He's doing more Marvel films. He's doing a, a remake of Akira. He's doing his own projects. Like, I don't know. I, I, he's he's very he's very he's a very good talker. I mean, you know, a gives, lot of his movies. Great interview. He's a, seems like a friendly guy. Maybe that's what it is. People just want to work with him. From what I'm reading, a lot of his movies have made money, so that might be why. Yeah, maybe that's why the industry is so you know. So uh, so hot for him because he just and he's got know. a distinct writing style. He's got a he's got a you can tell when you're listening to his dialogue, mm-hmm. which is something that's that's hard to find. So, but it's 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 weird to me that he he is has become as popular as he's become because I th- I I think he's just another talented director. I don't see what the X factor is that other people see. Maybe I'm just missing it. Yeah. I mean, he was, let's see, I'm just looking up his, his bio or whatever. He was famous for making comedy shorts at New Zealand's annual 48-hour film festival. Mm-hmm. And then he got an Academy Award nomination when he was like, what? That would have been when he was like 35. I mean, I guess he's not that old, but right. it just shows you don't have to be young to be a filmmaker. No. Yeah, so more on that at a later date, but we can uh, see how his career progresses. But I just hear he his name started all the, the Green Lantern movie. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing I don't understand about his career is why he keeps doing these bit parts in stupid studio films. 
Like, I guess it's, I guess he's got to find money to make these passion projects. But like now that he's, now that he's a, a, an established Hollywood director who's getting a Star Wars movie and getting another Marvel flick and getting mm-hmm. Akira, why are, why is he popping up in the Suicide Squad? Maybe they're just trying why to push him out there. Why is he popping up in Free Guy? Like, Tycho, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're a talented director. Please direct. I want to watch your movies. Be like, I'll, I'll give you my money. You can have it. Just direct some more good movies. It's like when Quentin Tarantino wanted to be an actor. and He, he finished Pulp... After Pulp Fiction, he started, like, several rip-offs of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing this, Quentin? <laughs> Why are you starring in Destiny Turns on the Radio instead of making another interesting movie of your own? Yeah. All right, Skip, I'm going to bell out here for today. I have a couple things to do on my end, but um, as usual, the good people of the world, always uh, check out RST Doc on uh, Instagram, RST Documentary on Twitter. Um, Yeah, for the restoration of RST Video Documentary we're making. Um, I mm-hmm. interviewed Scott Schiaffo the other day. Excellent, excellent guy. Very, very nice dude. Yep. Famously known as the Chulies Gum guy from Clerks. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, doing more with that. Yeah. You can, as always, find Nick Parodies at Nick Parodies on all the platforms. Yes. Uh, please, and please follow. I, yes, I'm dying follow. to hear your, your comments. Yes, and tell people to send in voicemails on our uh, Anchor page, anchor.fm slash children's programming. Uh, send in mm-hmm. some uh, voicemails and we'll read them on the air. Life the advice, advice section. Uh, yes, the advice section. You know, ask Nick Parodies. Remember, he's single and he's ready to mingle. <laughs> All right, Skip. All right. I'll uh, talk to you same time next week.